the theme um, that we're going to be looking at over the, over the next few weeks um, is being overcomers. And, and like Paul has said, you know, we know that Christ has overcome. And now he's inviting us into that same overcoming life that he lived, you know. And so the overcoming is something that he did on the cross and during his life. And when we enter into the reality of what it is that he's done, he reproduces that same life and that same power in us, which gives us the divine capacity to live as he lived here on earth. Eh? So it's an incredible and powerful invitation um, that, that, that we've been given. Anyway, welcome Welcome everyone um, along to, yeah, I guess this is part two of our Asian experience here under the market lights. That's <laughs> um, pretty, pretty awesome, hey? Um, but if you're here for the first time, a, a massive welcome as well. It's awesome, awesome to have you here. Like I said, we're starting not a new theme, but just changing gears slightly um, to look at what it means to be overcomers. Um, over the last number of weeks, we've been going through the scriptures about the, the bigger picture or God's eternal purpose for us as a church. And we've looked at a number of parables. We've looked at the parable of the ten virgins, five who were wise, five who were foolish. We've looked at the parable of the talons about a master who's gone away and given um, these talons or these gifts to his servant and has come back to see what it is that they've done with what they've been given. And we've, been, we've looked at the parable um, of the wedding banquet about a father who's giving a banquet um, for his son and is calling those who are invited to the wedding to come and partake in what it is that he has predestined them for. And in each of these parables, we've seen this in, in interesting dynamic about those who participate and those who spectate or those who are active actively engaged in what it is that's, that God is doing and what the invitation is, and those who decide that they actually don't want a part in it. Um, and so it's been both challenging and confronting. Um, but really the promise and the invitation is for all of us. Um, and we're going to be continuing on that theme this morning and looking at what it means to be an, an overcomer. You know, it says that those that we're to, to reign in life through Jesus Christ. We're not, to, we're not to be those who are overcome, but those who are to be overcomers. And like we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the gospel is not a, just a message about being saved from our sins so that we can hang tight and hold on and get to heaven when we die. But by being battered around by everything that life throws at us, we're to be those who actually receive the substance of the gospel in us and live this overcoming life now while we still breathe and in the future. And so I hope that as we start to share this morning, you'll hear the parallels and the synergy between what it is that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks about this marriage covenant that, you know, it's like Greg was saying, it's the context that the scriptures are set in. And looking at what it means to be an overcomer is not, set, is not a separate topic. It's intimately linked because it's the overcomers that we, that we read about in Revelation that are going to sit on his throne and reign with him. Um, so awesome and massive promises for us as the body of Christ to enter into. Hey, is that cool? Sweet. Everyone sitting on the edge of their seats, ears attentive, eyes open, just ready for the 
divine impartation that's going to come by the Holy Spirit? Thank you. There we go. All right. I'd like to just kick things off this morning by uh, reading a few scriptures to you. Are we allowed to do that? Sunday morning scripture, look, uh, Sunday morning service, look into the scriptures? Sweet. All right. So, you know, like I was saying, we're looking at the theme of what it means to be an overcomer. So what I've done is I've just gone to the probably one of the, the most powerful um, sections of scripture that, that looks at what it means to be an overcomer. And there are seven promises in the book of Revelation given to the seven churches. And in each of those churches, it's almost like there's an assessment that Jesus does and he takes an x-ray of the inner workings, an MRI scan of what really is going on in, in the, the seven churches at the time. And for some, there's a good report. For others, not so good as he exposes, not to, to pull down, but exposes to, to build up and to bring to light the reality of the promise that they either are or aren't living in. And to reinforce at the end of all of these seven letters, he reinforces the promises to those who are overcomers. And you know, the promise isn't given, as it says, to those who are converts or those who have been forgiven of sin. It says that the, each of these promises are given to those who overcome. So I'm going to start off by reading just a handful of what these promises are. Revelation 2 verse 7, he says this, To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11, to the one who overcomes, he will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17, to the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden mana, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. Revelation 2.26, to the one who overcomes, and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are shattered, as I also received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Revelation 3 verse 5, the one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3.12, the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Revelation 3.21, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne powerful way. Seven powerful prophetic promises given to the church and to those who, who John says, are, or really it's Jesus because the words are, are in red, to those who overcome. Now this is just in two chapters and you know those who, the overcomers are all throughout the scripture. 
And so I'm not sure if you have taken the time to read and meditate on what these promises are, but they're massive, eh? To have authority over the nations. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it means to have authority over the nations or if that's something that you've been invited to participate in. To sit with him on his throne. To have his name written. What does it say? Uh, To be made a pillar in the temple of God. And to have the name of our God and the name of the city, the new Jerusalem, being our new name. Massive promises, aim, And yet, I think that it can be so easy for these immense, big-time, intense promises almost to carry no weight and no meaning, because when we just hear them, it can be like almost words that wash over us, you know? When I was reading these promises, it just uh, reminded me of, you know, trying to engage in a conversation with Levi, our four-year-old, about something like superannuation, you know? (laughs) It's like, have you ever thought about saving for your retirement? (laughs) For a four-year-old, the thought of having to even work to earn a living just has not even entered into his mind. We're working on saying please and thank you at breakfast time. (laughs) The idea of working to earn a living has never, ever registered in his brain, let alone the thought of retirement, let alone the thought of saving for his retirement, let alone the thought of the fact that when you're 65 in New Zealand, you receive a pension ongoing until you die, an inheritance that you don't have to earn work for, but is just freely given. The reality of that has never factored into his psyche, into his thinking. And it can be like that when we hear these promises that are both future and now for us as the church, that for Christians who maybe have only heard the gospel that is maybe one-sided, that God has forgiven you for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die, and haven't received the multifaceted power impartation of the gospel that takes you out of death to life and takes you out of living for the things of this world and has you living for the things of heaven and eternity, it can almost be like those promises, because of our immaturity, are like water off a duck's back. We don't comprehend them. We're not living for them. When we hear them read out, they don't excite us. We actually don't really know what he's talking about at all. And yet we are to know. Because it says in the Gospels that we have been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We're to be those who not just know them, but those who are teaching them to one another. You know, in Hebrews it says, guys, By this time, you should be teachers, but you actually need someone again to teach you the elementary principles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. And so for us as the body, I'm not talking the body big picture, we're to grow up and to have teeth to be able to get in to what these heavenly eternal promises are so that when we hear them, they're not just things that we write off, they're things that are life-giving. Wow, you've invited me to sit with you on your throne? You've invited me to have authority over the nations? And if that's not our living reality, and if the promises don't excite us, today may be the very best day of your life. have to say that. I'm not a car salesman. But this thing is so massive that the revelation of what it is, the promises that are for us, 
what it is that he's invited us to, when they penetrate into you, that you see that you are more than just a mere man. You're called for more than just the natural, normal things of life. You're called to reign with him in this life and in the future. You're called to an eternal marriage covenant with Christ, an intimate fellowship relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. You've, you've been created to sit with him on his throne. When the reality of the promise and the reality of your sonship and who you've been called to be hits your heart, man, you are absolutely ruined for anything less. You're not groveling anymore, eating natural, normal things. You're not working for food that perishes. You're working for the food that endures to eternal life. And we're going to be bringing to light and sharing of this eternal food that I know for me has radically changed my life. It's taken me from making my career, my university studies, just the things that are important and good, having first place to being important yet not ruling and governing me. I'm living for something so much greater. I'm not living for man's opinions anymore or the things that life has to offer I'm living for the things of heaven and eternity. And it has absolutely reordered my world so that I can invest into earthly things. And actually, I have for the first time a healthy perspective on things like my job and my family. And I'm actually more effective in those environments because I'm not bound and held by needing to find my identity in those things. I know who I am and I'm living for things that are bigger than this life. And that's for all of us. Hey, you know, that's for all of us. It's not for the elders. It's not for paid staff. It's for sons and daughters of God. So that's our invitation to you this morning, to come and have fellowship with us as we share this living manna that's come from above. Sweet as? All right. Sorry, that introduction ended up a little bit longer than uh, what was expected. But let's, um, let's jump into it. I've got some, some questions for us um, on the panel here. The scripture, for those of you who have your Bibles, is 1 John 5, 4 to 5. 1 John 5, 4 to 5. For the sake of time, I'll actually, no, I will read the first, first few verses from verse 1. The title in, in my Bible is Overcoming the World. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love and observe His commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. I'll just read those two key verses again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So we've got a few key questions to unpack uh, this morning. Question number one is this. What does it mean to be born of God, and what can you expect to see in the lives of those who have been born of God? So verse 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What does it mean to be born of God, and what can you expect to see in the lives of those who have been born of God? Mel, I don't know if you want to kick us off with looking at what does it mean to be born of God? Yeah, to be born again is to be born from the womb of his tomb. So to be born again, it's the rebirth of your inner realm. It's that inner life that has been rebirthed from the inside, and that comes from the resurrected Christ who died for our sins and rose again. And so not born of the mother's womb, which we all have come from in a physical sense, but the rebirth starts from the womb of his tomb. And anything that's born of the flesh is flesh, and everything that's born of the spirit is spirit. This born-again life is also, it's the predestined life that was hidden in Christ before the foundations of the earth. So it's a life that is hidden, if you can imagine, in the death and life of Christ, and the womb of that tomb was always hidden in the unseen realm that was meant to be birthed, that we would live the predestined life that is hidden in Christ and only found in him. Um, What I would expect to see from a born-again believer is one who is alive in Christ and alive to the Father. And as children of God, born from above, it means we're children that are fathered by God. And that is... That becomes very clear as when you see a believer, a born-again believer who is fathered by God. Um, they're dead to sin, no longer living to unbelief, um, to the unconsciousness of the presence of, the in, of God in the inner realm. They are now alive to him on the inside, conscious of who he is, and they live off every word that he has to say to them. So I would say that's kind of... My description of the born-again life, what, what it means to be born again, I think is pretty much to, be, to come alive to God himself within us and to live with him yeah. and from him. Right. Yeah. And coming alive to God, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so I think coming alive to God, and I was thinking about the example of, of last night with the cultural dinner, you know, coming a, a, alive to God is, is coming alive in every part of your being, in your your heart, in your consciousness, in your body, how you live, what you demonstrate. It's coming alive to who he is, who he says we are in him, and what his kingdom is about. So what that does, it enables us to participate in the life of Christ in every possible way. We become partakers of his divine nature, so we're becoming like him, and then we participate in his life. And I was thinking with the cultures last night, I was so moved seeing within our family the different cultures, but but what it means to participate and partake in the culture, you know, they, they had their uniform, well, a uniform, but the dressing, they, they different individuals, but there's a dressing of the same, the dancing is, there's a kind, the singing was outstanding, the food, it all represented their culture. And I think about in Revelation where it says, you know, the saints, those who overcome, they, they've got a song to sing. And there's the cosmic chorus of the universe. Everything that's alive to God will sing 
almost the song of the same kind, and we will be dressed of the same kind, the robes of righteousness or the acts of the righteous saints. There's something that's going to be of common unity, communion uh, that is seen and demonstrated, but it starts from within. So I think coming alive, really, it's not something that is hidden in you that you can, it's, it, it can't be hidden for long. <laughs> it has to be expressed, and I think uh, it's the, the kingdom culture that's what we're called for, and as the church, um, I can see it with the eyes of my heart, the future of the overcomers, the bride, how she's going to be looking the same and singing of the same song, those who are redeemed, who know the same chorus, along with the rest of the universe, um, who knows their creator and where they've come from. Yeah. That's awesome, eh? Yeah. And, I, and I love what you're saying, you know, that this born-again life yes. has to have an actual demonstration attached to it, eh? You know, like you're saying, the, the, when we see the different cultures, the culture isn't just something that's hidden away on the inside. The culture is that the reality of what's in here being expressed in all of this, eh? You know, and that's the born-again life, you know, is that to be born of to, to be born of his seed, you can expect to see the fruit of that seed being manifested in the lives of a believer, eh? You know, that you don't just profess that Jesus is your Lord, you actually live as he's your Lord, you know? Or it, it's no longer that you just believe in him intellectually, you see expressed through your life the very reality of, of his life in you, eh? The, the love and the peace and the and, and joy, the the kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the spirit actually being manifested through our lives, eh? Which is an evidence of what it is that He's done in us, eh? You know, I just think of like some of the you know some of the old school preachers were absolutely insistent on this, eh? You know, John Wesley and George Whitfield that they refused to baptize people, and and they said you know like if you're born again. You need to prove that you're born again, you know, and I think it's a little bit not PC in this modern day and age, you know, but they were saying there needs to be evidence of the fruit of what God has done in your life, you know. If, if, you've, been, if you've been born again, live as this new creation, eh? and it's not that you in a moment necessarily are 100% perfect and complete, but there needs to be evidence of something that's taken place within you, eh, and, and and I just think of the, you know, the scripture is, is quite, like, quite black and white, eh? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, you know? It's almost like an equation. Born of God overcomes the world, you know? This new life has in it the power and capacity to live as you could never live before, where you were previously overcome and swallowed up in everything that life has to offer, you're now overcoming, you know, that this life has an actual and definitive expression, eh, you know, so what, what about for you, Sandra, what does this born-again um, life? Hello. I'm Vox too, by the way, yeah. Um, it's that... That definitive, like you say, that it can't be explained any other way, and it confounds the wisdom of man. And, you know, that, that's what the Lord says, you know, that you have, um, those who've received him have been given the right to become children of God, and it's not 
by blood. It's not by a bloodline. It's not by my heritage. It's nothing like that. It's not by the will of the flesh, like I've made it happen. It's not by the will of man. It's not I made a decision for God. And so often we hear this gospel, just make a decision for God. And it's like, but the birth is by the Spirit. It's of God, and it confounds the wisdom of man. And there you, you have in, in um, John 3, I think it is, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's confounded, completely confounded. And, and Christ is saying, unless you're born of the Spirit, which is being born of God, you can't see the kingdom and you can't enter the kingdom. And you certainly can't inherit the things of the kingdom. So the whole thing is coming through this, this powerful work of God that only he can do. But, but there's an there's a invitation, do you want to receive it? And, and he, he speaks about those that are born of the Spirit and what they're like. And, and there he compares them to the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, but you feel the effects of it. And when I see that, I see not a trace of human control. And I did it my way, or I made that happen. There's nothing of that. And I think that's the gospel of power that completely confounds all the operating system of man and sets us on the way of life that we were already predestined for but we had no concept of because it doesn't it can't enter even the heart of man right. nor the thoughts of man it can't enter until the spirit brings it to life and then it's like wow, you see, totally different. And I know for me that the actual day that that happened, I literally saw in the physical differently. And it was like literally going from living in black and white to technicolor, just like that. And it was like, this is unbelievable. But something had come alive on the inside and everything was in full color. And it was just just the start, you know? And I, I, the, the thing is that it, the, the result of the Spirit is this convicting of us how right we are. So when we're not going to be seeing the, the, the self-assessment through the mind because the Spirit does this conviction of who we are now and he convicts us of how right we are. And we live from what Father has said because it is so different and so um, so not of the, of the world, not of anything that we could have made. So to me, the marker is that it is confounding the wisdom of the, of the earth and confounding the intellect of the earth. And, and he... He does what, what only he can do to open up our eyes to his reality, which has always been there, but we've never seen. And I think what I, what I hear you saying, you know, is, you know, this is an operating system here, eh? You know, and I think, 
uh, when I was looking at this, I just went and have a, had a look in the Greek at what the word the word world means, you know, and it literally the word is cos is cosmos, eh? and you know it's it's probably not an unfamiliar word, but it's where the word cosmetic comes from, and the the heartbeat of of the word is that it's a world system. It's a system of operating, you know? And so when we talk about the world and overcoming the world, we're not just talking about overcoming ISIS or, or, or overcoming, you know, necessarily a, a natural, physical thing. We're talking about, a, you know, having a born-again life within us that, that overcomes the old operating system, you know? And so you might have heard before, you can take the people out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the people. And yet God can, and he does. And that's the message and the reality of of the gospel, you know, is that overcoming the world, it does mean overcoming the external influences, the influences of the world around us and the influences of the devil. But it also looks like, overcoming the influences of our inner realm that's come from an old operating system that, like you said, scream at us. You know, Adam and Eve, when they fall, when they fell, they went from being in fellowship with God and walking with Him and communion with Him to all of a sudden they ate the fruit and they were in absolute fear of Him and needed to sow fig leaves over their private parts to, you know, and, and so they went from being in fellowship to being afraid. Something happened in their inner world, not just the world around them. It was their inner world that changed, which screamed at them disconnection from God, even though God was right there saying, hey, where are you? you know? And this is the reality of the gospel that we, like you're saying, Sandra, you know, we have no ability to comprehend the right standing with him that we receive through his blood without the revelation that comes from the Spirit. And that's just one thing, you know, to, to know that we've been made right with him so that we can actually be empowered to live a righteous life, you know. Um, but revelation unlocks what it is that the gospel has achieved and it, and it unlocks that work within us so that the gospel isn't something that's just external of us. It's not just about the blood that's, that's out here, like we heard last week. It's not just about the day that Jesus was crucified. It's about the resurrected life within us, hey? You know, so it's that we would overcome, yes, the world out there, but also that our inner world would be changed by this new born again, this new living way that comes from above, hey? You know? So anything else you guys want to add, add on that? No? Cool. All right, question number two. I'll just read the next verse that says this. So we've got, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Oh, sorry, part two of the same verse. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So question number two is, you know, John says, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. What is true faith, and how does this enable you to overcome the world? Sandra, I don't know if, do you want to kick us off? What, what is this faith that John is talking about? Well, it's the new substance. It's the new operating system, in short. But again, it 
doesn't come just because we study about it. It comes through hearing. It comes from God. And this is, this is the thing that um, I see so clearly now and I didn't see so clearly a while back is that unless it's come from God, it doesn't have power. So, i.e., if it's come from man, it doesn't have power to overcome. And that includes everything that we feed off. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, and the righteous shall live by their faith. So it's a whole different way of living. It's no longer living from principles or things we've been taught that we abide by certain rules. It's, it's living by receiving what he has said and spoken. So we're eating, and we're eating of a different source. We're eating from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not just evil, the knowledge of good and evil. That tree which screams at us and screams at us whether we're born again or not, that you can come into life through your own understanding and through your own knowledge. And the things that, you know, um, the, the, the faith is the sight of what is unseen and is revealed by the Spirit that you had no idea was there, and it's like, whoa, that couldn't, again, have entered my heart. It couldn't have, it's not something that I just thought up and imagined. It's come from the Father, and so he's sourcing who, who we are. He's now the bread. He's now the source of, of everything that is life, and anything that hasn't come from him actually is futile, and that includes the teaching of man. And the, the thing that, you know, the, the adversary, wants, adversary sorry, wants to do is to get us off that narrow path where we're being fed by the Father and to make us stop and consider, oh, I wonder if there's a better way. You know, I wonder if I could shortcut this by just listening to the five steps to so-and-so or the, you know? And it's like don't, you know, and the Holy Spirit is constantly saying it's one way, I am the one way, and it's through me within you, and it means that you have to walk in humility, because all the stuff that you might have thought you knew is nothing, and that's what Paul, that was his testimony, wasn't it, that he came to this understanding once he had Christ revealed that, wow, Everything is hidden in him, and everything for life, everything for life is hidden in him, and everything I thought I knew, my reputation, and all those things, rubbish, because it doesn't actually produce life, and we're talking about life that has the power to overcome, because it sees what's ahead, but it also has a different life source within it. And I think, like you said, about seeing is is the key thing, hey, yeah. you know, is that if you think of faith as being just blind belief, then how does blind belief overcome the world, you know? How, how does just believing that Jesus has died for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die have with it the power to live this overcoming, powerful life? 
Do you see what I'm saying? Faith needs to be something so much more than just making agreement with what the written words on the page says, right? And that's why I think, you know, we've, we've spent a, you know, a bit of time over the last year looking and unpacking it about what true faith is. That faith is the ability to see what is unseen, you know? And just, um, I'll just, just, just read this to you in, um, in Hebrews, you know, it says um, of, of Noah, this says, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen and reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You know? And it says that God spoke to Noah about unseen things. You know, Noah's a, this is in the, the, the famous chapter about faith. God spoke to Noah about unseen things. And the things that Noah saw that were unseen had such an impact on his life that he went from probably his whatever career he was a part of, to building an ark. When there had never been any rain, there had never been any sign that what it was that he was going to do was going to have any kind of earthly or natural impact or relevance. Hey, God spoke to Noah about unseen things, and the things that he saw in the unseen empowered him to live in a way that he never would have lived unless he had seen what was unseen, hey? And this is the kind of faith that has us overpowering the world. What else would get Noah away from his career, providing for his wife and for his family, off the natural, normal thing? Can you imagine the kind of conversations that he'd need to have with the people around him? Why are you... Why on earth are you doing this? You know, but the only motivating factor would have been that he had seen something that was unseen and he was living for it. Eh? What about for us? Do we have that kind of faith that has us shifting our priorities and perspectives off the things of earth and onto the things of heaven and eternity? You know, as our lives, are our lives consumed in living for these eternal promises that, that I read out at, at the beginning? You know, like this is, this is not just a little thing, you know, like this is what faith does. It takes it from being something that's theoretical to something that's real and living and actual. You know, Noah's life wasn't a theoretical life. The faith that he had had an actual practical implication that he went from living for him to building an ark for the salvation of his household. Are you building an ark for the salvation of your household? Have the things that you have seen that are unseen had such a radical impact on your life that you've gone from living for you to, God, to going to living for the things that are actually in his heart? Do you see what I'm saying? This is the kind of faith that overcomes the world. And it's the only kind of faith that actually unearths us, literally, and has us on a, on a completely different course, hey? You know? That's right. And, so. and how, how often when we read, or even in our own lives, when we choose to live in this way of faith that it is so foolish to the world. It is so foolish for Noah to build an ark and use his time, energy, and resource to build something from the unseen that no one else could see 
but by faith he could see. And yeah, that foolishness is, is such a, a marker, hey. And um, I've written here for, for faith. Um, faith is both the condition and the proof of regeneration. And faith, as we heard, comes from the word. It comes from Christ himself. And um, Romans 6.3 says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. See, the word of God, in the beginning was the word. And so my question that I ask is, so was that same word in the beginning of creation, was that the word that was the beginning of your new life? Because that's the word that is living and enduring and the very thing that will nourish and, and continue uh, this new life in Christ. It is a continuous conquering. And I love that word overcoming because it's, it's in the perfect tense, which means it, it has overcome it is overcoming, and it will overcome. It's such a guarantee of Christ himself. And what faith does is it's that it's that presence, that condition, the regeneration of Christ, the word himself in us, that has now given us eyes to see, ears to hear. Our whole being is now able to participate in what God is saying in his story. And so I loved how overcoming is so linked to being born again of this imperishable seed because that is the, the very seed that continues that life forth, um, that when, <laughs> when we enter into troubles or hardship or whatever comes our way, we're no longer overthrown by that or live under the oppression of that, but we're living the same life as Christ on the earth. This is, this is the power of faith, is that it holds the potential for us to possess the same life of Christ, to rejoice in his sufferings, to be buried with him and alive with him now on the earth and the future. And so faith gives us this incredible invitation not to just mentally, as you say, agree, but really possess to know God by heart and to participate. That it's not theory, but now experiential. And man, the more we experience the word that the word has possessed our inner being and we, we actually experience it through our lives, the more confident we become in who he says he is and who we are called to be. And those promises are no longer just positions that we can think of, you know, oh, that's a positional thing theoretically. You actually possess that position and you live from that place and you eat from the tree of life and you're crowned with righteousness and you reign and rule by the governance of Christ in partnership, co-labor. So it's, faith is, <laughs> it's, it's so powerful, but it's Christ himself, you know, but it's, you know, I read somewhere, it said, you know, there's no such thing as a peace of mind because to live in the mind is to not know peace. And it says that Christ, you know, he, he broke down the wall between the two to make two, ma two um, people one, two men one. Um, where was I going with that, Sam? Sandra? Peace of mind, peace of mind thank you. 
peace of mind. So if we if we continuously living in the mind and we're approaching the scriptures in the mind, we're never going to know peace because it's only Christ in our hearts who has torn that veil in order that we can live in oneness with Him. That now we see as He does. That we now uh, do as He does. What that what does that actually mean? It means that we are enabled to participate. So no longer through the mind do we analyze situations, hard things we're going through, try work out what are we going to do here, try diagnose it. You don't live from that place. You live from the heart. That is all about tasting. Can you hear me? So you're no longer analyzing or making lists about how you can do things better or get through life better, but you're living from the heart, which is all about tasting and seeing and partaking. It's not living in the mind. It's not making lists. It's not analyzing your life situations from the external. It's living from the knowledge of God, that that place of being fathered by God himself, under the governance of Christ himself, that we live by heart. But, but I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's not an analytical mind uh, exercise. It's a heart that is participating with Christ and in Christ. And actually the activation is to eat and drink of Christ and to partake in him. And uh, that's what faith is. It's, a, it's an experiential exercise for the rest of your life <laughs> with Christ. And then he starts proving himself through your life, which is absolutely glorious and the greatest reward I can think of on earth. Yeah. Okay. And it's that kind of faith that overcomes the world, eh? You know, it's when we receive that kind of substance in us that empowers us to live free from just natural, normal things, eh? You know, and, and I think you, you can see like the, the parallels between this born again life, this life that is being conformed to the image of God, and this overcoming, powerful life where actually the things, you know, the, the reality that exists in here, the flesh doesn't overpower us, but also the external things don't have the ability to take us away from what it is that he's calling us to, eh? you know? Sorry, I think of the story of David and Goliath, you know, how faith becomes, you know, in Ephesians it talks about uh, the the spiritual warfare that we're in and the armor, you know, and faith becomes the instrument and the armor in which we take on warfare and we take on um, trials and tribulations that James says you can rejoice in your circumstances. It's like, what is that? You know, and that's that's this type of faith that when David was faced with Goliath, as we know, it Goliath was massive in the physical realm, you know, Goliath had the upper hand and he was about to from everyone's opinion thrash David because he's the smaller guy that didn't have armor. But you know what David says, in the name of the Lord I come. And it's in the name, in the name. And again, it's that child-fathered faith experience of being one with him that we come in. And that's how we take on any battle, that it's the strength is not in how strong the soldiers are, how strong the situation is against you in opposition. I, I've actually found in my life, the stronger the opposition looks in the physical, the more I'm like, game on. Because the Spirit of God within within us, you know, the 
the faith of Christ in me. If I've heard a word, that word is my sword. And it's, it's going to be a battle, but I know who's going to come out on top. And it's not, it's not because of who I am. It's because of who Christ is and what he said. And that word is living and enduring. And it's the very thing that causes us to overcome. And, you know, the Maccabees, when they went into war, they, they would chant a thing. I'm not going to try to speak it in Hebrew or whatever it was. But they, you know, they'd say, that our victory is with God. You know, and I think so often we can think that the Christian life is about constantly overcoming problems um, that are actually of the flesh life and not the predestined life. And, and we get caught up in the, the rat race of life and think that those problems and everything we're facing is, is the predestined life in Christ. It's not. It's not. And, and you will know the difference because the predestined life in Christ, when these things come, there is... Christ in you who overcame the world is going to enable you to overcome those very things. And I think this is why it's faith that sees, eh? And in seeing what has been done and in seeing, thanks Sam, and in seeing the victory that has been won, it's that revelation that enables us to live from the victory that's already been achieved, hey, you know? And, and that is, to me, true faith, you know, with, with David and Goliath, you know. It's, it's not David in a position of, will he, won't he, will he, won't he, okay, I'm just going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not that kind of approach. It's actually that he's seen that God being with him as the victory has already been won before he actually even slings that stone, you know. And I think this is with Noah. You know, God spoke to Noah about unseen things. He saw the flood. He saw the reality of the future. And in seeing the reality of the future, he was moved and motivated because of the spirit within him to respond to what it was that had already been seen. And I feel like there's so many things that come from this place. It's back to what Sandra was talking about, about righteousness. What does it mean to see that we've been made right? Because unless we've seen that we've been made right, we actually can't live like we are right. And we can't live out of the righteous acts that have been predestined for those who are of the Spirit, and do you see what I'm saying? Then we have to be able to see the victory that's been won to be able to live from that victory. Otherwise, we'll be fighting a battle that has already been won, and life will be an absolute grind, and you'll hear messages about overcoming, and you'll think that you need to overcome, as opposed to celebrating the one who has overcome and stepping in and entering into the victory that's been won so that you can actually live an overcoming life because of the Spirit of Christ who has overcome death. It says it's the same Spirit that's living within us, you know? And so the spirit of the overcoming Christ, Christ himself in us, empowering us to live this overcoming life, hey, you know? And it's that, it's that faith, that sight that sets us free from the things of the world, you know? Um, and there's, there's prophecies in, in Scripture, you know, it says that the days that we're living in will be like the days of Noah, that men will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, completely oblivious to the fact that in Second Peter it talks about, you know, that the world is about to be consumed by fire. So what value and benefit are the things that we're invested in here, in, here on earth? What, what value are our careers? What value are our families? 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's not that they are not valuable. It's saying that in light of his eternal purpose, don't get consumed in what's about to be burnt up. Work for food that endures to eternal life so that you can have a healthy perspective on the things of life. You know, you know I'll, just, I'll just read this to you. You know, it says, um, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, we just heard about that, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and all its works burnt up. Since all these th things that would be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the heavens will be destroyed, uh, sorry, and will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm like, whoa, intense scripture, eh? You know? And he's comparing our present age to the, to the, the time of Noah and saying that as Noah had faith to see what was about to take place on the earth and the promises of God, but also the judgment of God, that he saw ahead what it was that God was going to do, his life aligned to what it was that he saw that was unseen. And in here, Peter's comparing our present age, and he's saying, guys, in the same way that this reality was about to take place, this flood was about to take place on earth, guys, he says that eventually the world's, world's going to be consumed by fire. And so in knowing that and seeing that, don't let that frighten you. Let it spur you on and see the promise that we were called for something so much bigger than this life. So guys, lay hold of the promise. Lay hold of what you were called for so that you're no longer trying to live for things that are perishing, but working for the food that endures to eternal life. See the eternal promise. See by faith the macro, big picture, purpose of God, and invest your life into it. Hey, that, that is the, the invitation that we have as a church. And if that is not living in a life, seek him and ask him to open up the promise that's for us. Hey, you know, because he's inviting us to partake and eat of those promises so that we are those 
who, in knowing the reality of the future, are empowered to live well while we're still breathing here on earth, eh? You know? That's, so. that's, that, that's right. And the fire of God, <laughs> you know, is, is available every day for us. Every time we enter in to partake of him and drink of him and eat of him, we're playing with fire. We're in the fire. And again, I almost feel like we're not going to worry or be fearful of that fire that um, that scripture talks of, you know, this future reality that is coming. Because if we're living by the fire every day, burning up the dross and the, the wood and the hay, and all that's being left is the fire that's proving our faith genuine, then this daily fire, you kind of call for it because you're like, yes, I want the age of righteousness to come. I can't wait for the inner realm that I have come to know so well to be my external for every person. And so that fire is a today fire that we should, um, I hate that word should, that we in Christ, you know, every time we are with him and we hear his word, needs to burn. It needs to burn. It says, you know, um, the men that were walking with him and didn't recognize him after he was resurrected and he's speaking words of life to them. And, and then they realize, oh, it was the Christ. And they said, did, did our hearts not burn when we were with him? And the truth, this is the truth of who Christ is to us in a personal way is that he does he causes us to burn and we burn and we burn and we don't burn up and we are purified and sanctified in every possible way and so um we we call that future on don't we just as uh noah welcomed the future just as it says in hebrews that all those forerunners what they saw from afar they welcomed they welcomed. And so I ask us today as believers, are we welcoming the future with Christ and not being fearful? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what faith does, eh? You know, it gives you the right perspective of what it is that, that Peter's saying here, eh? That, the, that to hear that and be condemned is to not hear, right? To, to hear it and be condemned is, is not to hear the promise that's on offer, you know? And I think to me that's why, that, that's why the language is so firm, not to scare, but to say, guys, you know, the, the preciousness and the life of the promise is so much more infinitely valuable than what it is that you may be partaking of, you know? And so let go of that. Let him be the pearl of great price that enables you to to let everything else go for the sake of laying hold of him and what it is that he's chosen us for. eh? To to me, it's like, it's so precious and it's so empowering that the transaction is almost like a no-brainer, literally a no-brainer because you've received substance that hasn't touched your brain. It's entered into your heart that draws you forward and draws you into a promise that's more than this life, eh? You know, so...